on today's message from Harvest Church of God. What God is saying to us this morning, if you really, really want to change for the better, then you got to change with your heart and you got to change with your mind. Thanks be to God, I believe I'm preaching to some people today that say, I'm saved. Thank God I'm saved by the blood of Jesus. Then I want to tell you, perishing is not for you. Hallelujah, because you believe the truth of the gospel of Christ, because you've embraced faith, saving faith in Christ Jesus, there, hallelujah, remains for you a place with God, an eternity in the presence of God is yours. It's your inheritance. Thank you, God, for another opportunity this side of eternity to stand in this place and preach your word. I thank you, O oh God, for people of like faith, that have assembled today in this house to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. I thank you for those that are watching online right now, and I ask you, O oh God, to give us an open door of utterance that we might speak with grace and truth to the people this morning. Touch us with an anointing from the hand of God. Enable us today, O oh Lord, to perceive the Word of God, and may it find a hiding place and a lodging place in our heart that we might not sin against you. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been talking for a number of weeks now since the beginning of the year about the one who said, I will do a new thing. I will do a new thing. Behold, he that sits upon the throne said, Behold, I will do a new thing. We found out that change is inevitable for people who walk with God. There is no status quo. There's no place where we get static in our relationship with God. We know that it is an ever ongoing pursuit after God's righteousness and God's will, God's purpose, God's intention, God's promises. All of those things are a part of our covenantal relationship with our great God. We found out that God expects change to come from within. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, the Bible said. The disciples said, we have obeyed from our heart that doctrine that was delivered unto us, that was preached to us, that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. So those expressions let us know that God expects change to come to us from the inside. Now, there are a lot of us that like to change on the outside. There are a lot of things externally I... I'd probably like to change. Somebody would say, well, I'd like to be a little taller. Somebody might say, well, I'd like to be a little slimmer. <laughs> Some would say, well, I wish my hair wasn't this way or wasn't that way. Or I, I wish that I could do something about this, this skin of mine. I wish I could do this or do that. And everybody's in a constant flux. What would you change? Your wrinkles? Your legs? Your bulges? Your eyes? Your hair? Hair? Your teeth? What would you change about yourself? Would your extreme makeover be so severe that we wouldn't recognize you? What would your extreme makeover look like? You know, a lot of people talk about self-helps. And self-help books are abundant right now. Even Joel's multi-million dollar seller, How to Become a Better You. Well... Becoming a better me has everything to do with God. Amen. Not a whole lot about my decisions about me, but more about what God's decisions for me are. So for us to change on the outside, that's one thing. And we can 
see all these self-help things going on, but changing on the inside is usually more difficult and harder for us to do because things that are on the inside usually are entrenched pretty deep. What would we ask God to change about us today? Would it be a, a critical spirit? Would it be a sharp tongue? Would it be a stubbornness or an arrogance that is about us that we wish we could change? Is it jealousy? Is it a spirit of envy or a spirit of arguing and always contentious? Would, would you like to lose that one? I hope so if you got one. What would you change on the inside if you could get a, a change to take place? God expects a change in every one of us. And our anchor verse is found in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. And it says, be not conformed to the world, but be changed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we know that a change, real change, has to happen in our, our minds. In our minds. The Bible says with our members we serve the law of sin, but with our mind we serve the law of the Spirit. So if we can ever get our mind to communicate with our members and can win that battle over the flesh, then we can honestly change. You see, there's really two of you. There really is. There's a spiritual you and there's a physical you. And the physical you is always saying, when I would do good, evil is present with me. The physical you is say, the things that I ought to do, I, I, I don't do. And the things that I shouldn't be doing, I find myself doing. And the Bible said, the flesh minds the things of the flesh. So the spirit minds the things of the spirit. So the flesh and the spirit, Galatians 5, 16, 17, says, for the spirit lusteth against the flesh. And the twain are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. Or in other words, so you cannot change. The flesh is a powerful ruling entity about us. If the flesh rules, then the spirit suffers. If the flesh reigns, then the spirit becomes subservient to the flesh. Amen. So what that means is that in blending of these two entities, my spirit being and my physical being, the blending of them is real change and is transformation. That new creature in Christ Jesus. Amen. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. That new creature, that newness of life, that new and living way is the result of the Spirit taking ownership and ruling. When the Bible said, let, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, that's what that means. Let the things of God, the things of the Spirit, take precedence over the things of the flesh. And that is what fasting is all about. Fasting is an exercise. I'll talk about it later about some of those holy habits. Fasting is an exercise not to make God any more powerful, not to make God any more real, not to make God any more able, not to make God any more willing. It hasn't got a lot to do about God. It's about you and about serving God. It's about telling this physical person that you're not going to rule and reign. 
It's an exercise in saying to the physical person, I'm not going to let you have your way. We're going to do what the Spirit says for us to do. We're going to follow the Lord because we worship Him in spirit and in truth. We are converted by a regenerating process, Titus 3 and 5, that is motivated and driven by the Holy Ghost. In fact, the Word of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. No man calleth Jesus Lord but by the Holy Ghost. No man cometh to Christ except the Spirit draws him, Jesus said. So then there is this, this spirit activity, this pneumonology that takes place in our, our lives, and it's the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit is to make God real in your life to such an extent that you embrace him as Lord, as Lord. And when he becomes Lord, you become a servant of God. The Bible calls us fellow servants and fellow laborers. We're laborers together with God. We're workers in God. We are people who have embraced the God, the creator God. Jehovah has become the Lord of our lives and pleasing him. No soldier that warreth entangleth himself with the things of the physical desires. Why? that he may please him who has called him to be a soldier. Now that metaphor there of soldiering is so important to us because rank and respect and authority is a great part of soldiering. Amen. Submitting to orders, that's a real part of soldiering. And that metaphor that Paul uses, he says that that person must be subservient to the will of the one who gives him instructions and, and uh, prepares his way before him. Our God is the God of our lives. He's the strength of our lives. He is our light and he is our salvation. He is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I fear or of what shall I be afraid? The Lord is my light and my salvation. When the Lord is God of your life, Lord of your life. Now, in order for us to have this relationship with God, there must be a transformation. There must be a change. There must be a time when you make a decision. Billy Graham used to call it the hour of decision. That was his radio program. Everything was about when they counted souls, Sam, they counted them in decisions. When you would ask him, how many people did you have saved in your San Antonio crusade? He would say, we had so many decisions. 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 Making Jesus Lord of your life is a decision. It's a choice that you make. But it is the entry level. It's the door you walk through into this thing of knowing God and serving God. It's the entry place. It's where you go in. It's where you start to pr proceed on your journey to please Him with your life, with your witness, your testimony. And your relationship to God is directly related to your relationship to others. And that's why He said, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. And last week we talked about that in the church, God is best praised and worshiped. 
The church is great, reaches its greatest efficiency. The church does its greatest work when we're all of the same mind. The Holy Ghost comes down when we're in one mind and one accord. So great things happen when God is able to unify us and pull us together and we all speak the same mind. And listen to what he said in that, that verse. You remember last Sunday? He said, and if any man seem to be otherwise minded. Are you kidding me? What do you mean? Otherwise minded from what the people of God in the community are believing and accepting as God's will. Come on, somebody. I know we're in deep water here, but I'm talking to you about a plan of salvation. When the church all is of one mind and one accord, and they all have the same mind, we're doing great things for God. And he said, and if anyone seems to be otherwise minded, it gets tough right here. You got your bootstraps pulled pretty good. He said, that person is an enemy of the cross. An enemy of the message that God wants to send to the world. Otherwise mindedness. What in the world is otherwise mindedness? It is a rebellion and a resistance to the way God wants to will and purpose and act. Now when we place ourselves in opposition to God, brother, we're in a dangerous place. When we're trying to resist and overthrow something God is doing, you're in a dangerous place. And the Bible, even Paul said, those kind of folks that would pursue such an exercise, he said they are enemies. Wow. Now, you shouldn't hate your enemies. What do you do for your enemies? Love them and do what? Pray for them. Amen. Why? Why should we pray for people who are otherwise minded, who are hindering the work of God? Here it is in James' gospel. He said, brethren. Who's he talking to? Lost people? Is he talking to worldlings? Is he talking to people out there? The, the whole pop? No. Who's he talking to? Brethren. Church. Save people. Brethren, if any man errs concerning the truth, then ye which are spiritual... And that don't mean that you run aisles and you holler louder than anybody else. That's not what that means because that's not necessarily spirituality. Now, don't get me wrong. I shout, I, I thank my God I outshout you all. Don't get me wrong. But spirituality cannot be measured by bodily exercise. And spirituality cannot be measured by manipulation and that kind of, that, that's not the way you measure spirituality. You want to measure it? Here's your better measuring rod. But the fruit of the Spirit is joy, peace, love, is love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, long-suffering, faith, patience, temperance. Hallelujah! And by fruit ye shall know them. Not judge them, but know them. Know them that labor among you. Don't judge them. Know them. So things that I know, I don't have to judge. If I know something, there's no judgment really necessary. I know that. I know the law of gravity is holding you in that seat right there. I know that. I know that these keys in my pocket, if I get them out and drop them, they'll hit the ground. Why? I don't have to judge that. I know that. 
I know that. Things that you know, here, I'm going to ask you if you know this. Do you know that apples don't grow on pecan trees? You don't have to judge that, do you? You already know that? Do you know that walnuts don't grow on peach trees? Do you know that? Then you don't have to make any judgment about it. You already know that. Don't have to meditate, talk it over, ask Jane, Johnny, or Sue. You already know that's a fact. You see, that's how sure you can be that works of the flesh don't go with a person claiming a spiritual experience with God. Does anybody hear me? A spiritual experience with God. How in the world can you worship and say you love him and say you're serving him when your life is in such disarray and you in no way resemble what he says your life ought to be? In other words, there ought to be some fruit in your life that give evidence that you are spiritual. Amen. And it's all found in fruit. How do I get to that place, Pastor, that I am a fruit-bearing, influential witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, that my life testifies to the Lordship of Jesus and brings to light His salvific activity? How can my, I get to that place? I want to tell you, walk in the light. 1 John 2 and 9, walk in the light as he is in the light. Walk in the light. Light is truth, isn't it? Darkness is ignorance and a lie. Light is truth. Glory to God. Light is inspiring. Darkness just kind of says, oh me. Walk in the light as he is in the light and you will have fellowship. Fellowship, relationship, confidence, assurance. Walk in the light as he is in the light and we have fellowship one with another. And when we have fellowship one with another, something happens. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Brother, you want to see a revival that will touch a nation? You want to see a revival that will turn things around? You let the church get together. You let the church become one in fellowship and in mind and heart and spirit. That's why the devil fights so hard on that one matter is because he knows that if people ever get together and all serve God in one mind and one accord with one goal to lift up Jesus Christ, then souls will be saved and the blood of Jesus, his son, will cleanse from all sin. The opposite is that, that, that word perish, and it's found in the golden text of the Bible. It's in John 3, 16. Can you quote it? For... God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. 
the cosmos. God so loved universal man from all time and all ages, every soul of Adam's race. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that we should not what? Perish. What does it mean to perish? What is this perishing? 1 Corinthians 1 and 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. To people who have no hope, who are lost, staggering in darkness, without God in the world, are the perishing. Perishing. And to those people, they are perishing. Why? Because they think the preaching of the cross is foolishness. But to we who have been changed, transformed, we who have been washed in the blood, we who have been added to the role of the saved ones and redeemed ones in heaven, to we who are saved, it is the power of God unto salvation to everybody that believes it. So we've got two classes of people right there, don't we? Those that are perishing and to us who are saved. So you've got saved people and you've got perishing people. To perish, what does that mean? Where there is no vision, people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. When there is no vision, there's defeat, there's destruction, there's death where there is no gospel and there is no vision. Why do people need a vision? They need a vision so that they can place in their mind an event of knowing that they know in their knower that they have been with Jesus and they've seen his marvelous, matchless grace and felt his presence in such a way that they embraced him and trusted him for salvation for their perishing soul. Changed, transformed. Those are great words. Hey, what did they say it on the Mount of, what was it? Mount of Transfiguration. When Jesus took the inner circle and went up on the mount and he was transfigured, what happened? Any of y'all know about that? Does anybody know about transfiguration? One's read about it. Well, I should have preached today about transfiguration because Peter was there. James was there. John was there. Moses was there. Moses, he'd been dead for thousands of years. Moses, Moses was there. Wow. And the Bible said the glory of God came down upon the Lord Jesus in such a way as the heavenly Son of the living God. What was happening before the eyes of the disciples was he was being glorified. Glory to God. He was being glorified before their very eyes to add weight to the evidence 
that he is the son of the living God. You see, that's what happens when transformation, translation, and transfiguration takes place. It's God's glory gets involved with it. When you, through God's power and God's glory, become that person, that vessel that God wants you to be, and he pours you full of the Holy Spirit, full of the oil of anointing, and full of the fragrance of the anointing of God. When you reach that place, there is a glory of God that's attached to it that there's nothing else like it. And I want to tell you, perishing happens to nations as well. And I pray for our nation right now because I, I sure don't want our nation to perish. I sure don't want all of the chaos that's going on in this world to unravel the great experiment that is going on. But if Satan would have his way, he would destroy this country. He would do away with this country that sends missionaries to preach the message. He would do away with this freedom that we embrace and this way of life. He would do away with it if he possibly could. Listen to Proverbs. Listen to Isaiah 60 and 12. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. Are you hearing the word of God this morning? That's not Jerry Irwin. That's not some publishing company. That's the word of the living God. I'm going to read it again because I want you to make sure you got it. Isaiah 60 and 12. For the nation and the kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. Yea, those nations shall utterly be wasted. Oh, God, please do something, God, in this country. Please somehow stay the hand of the enemy. Somehow, Lord God, by your mighty hand, your outstretched arm, would you somehow, oh, Lord, touch this nation once again you brought this nation into existence. This nation, O oh Lord, owes its very survival to your hand of deliverance. You've brought us, O oh Lord, this far by grace. Please, O oh Lord Jesus, heal the wounds. And please heal, O oh Lord, the terrible affliction. God, heal this country from the pandemic. Heal this country, O oh God, by your might and by your power. And, oh, God, I pray that this country would repent before you. I pray, oh, God, this morning that a spirit of conviction would settle upon our leaders and they would realize their need of repentance. And they would realize their need of calling on God. I pray, oh, God, that the pulpits of this country would be awakened. I pray that men, oh, Lord, that have conviction would stand in the pulpit and declare the word of the Lord. I pray, O oh God, that every medium that can be used to send the message and raise up the Lord Jesus as the answer to all the ill and all of the hurt, I pray, O oh God, that you would grant us every avenue, every available means, at every available time to tell every available person that Jesus saves and Jesus heals. O oh Lord, don't let your church cower behind closed doors. 
Don't let your church become a non-entity. Don't let your church, O oh Lord, become a lack of strength and powerless, anemic entity. Don't let your church, O oh Lord, sit on the sidelines and watch people perish and go to hell. God, please bring about a, a stirring of your spirit. God, please bring about something in this country that would cause this country to seek God. For you said in your word that if we will not serve you, we would perish. You said the wicked will be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. Your word says that righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Oh God, wilt thou not do it again? Wilt thou not revive us again, oh God, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Will you not send a voice? Will you not raise up one that would cry out as one crying in the wilderness? Would you not send an anointing, oh God, upon a voice that would convict this world of sin and would call us unto righteousness? Oh, Lord, will you not do it again? Would you not stir churches, oh God? Would you not stir men of God and women of God that will stand in the gap and make up the hedge, that will kneel between the porch and the altar and weep and pray and fast until God rains down righteousness upon us? Wilt thou not revive us? Wilt thou not spare us? Wilt thou not do it again, oh God? We pray for that kind of revival. Somebody give the Lord a good hand clap of praise and say amen. Second Corinthians 4, 16, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. One of you may be falling apart, but I want to tell you the other one, it's getting better every day. You may come in here and you may have some disease that you may be getting worse every day on the outside, but on the inside you're getting better all the time. Hallelujah. For you see that inner man that feeds off of the Word of God and feeds off of the anointing of the Spirit grows stronger every day. That's why we're preaching like we're preaching. We want to get stronger. That's why we're preaching about new things and God doing a, a new thing among us. That's because we want to get better because new is better. We want to exchange the old forms and get a God, God outpoured spirit that will come and stir the church. Oh, God. 2 Thessalonians 2 and 10, the Bible talks during the tribulation period, and with all deceivableness and unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. You see, perishing people are people that just won't listen to the gospel, that won't take to heart what the gospel says. They won't accept the love of the truth that they might be saved. Thanks be to God, I believe I'm preaching to some people today that say, I'm saved, thank God I'm saved by the blood of Jesus. Then I want to tell you, perishing is not for you. Hallelujah, because you believe the truth of the gospel of Christ, because you've embraced faith, saving faith in Christ Jesus, there, hallelujah, remains for you a place with God, an eternity in the presence of God is yours. It's your inheritance. You're saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus, and that means you're not perishing. But the Bible said that for those who have not received the gospel, they perish. If our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that perish. 
who receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Do you getting it? Perish and saved. I'm glad I'm on that saved list, aren't you? Hallelujah. Change is always a process. It's never a come down here and pray a quick prayer and walk out the door a super Christian. It's always a learning experience that God can change us. He can change those things, those problems that we've got, those lingering resentments that we've got, that inability to get past the past. God can help us. If someone really wants to change, you can definitely change because God is a God who changes us. That's why we, people keep moving. That's why people keep changing jobs, get a facelift, buy a new car, start a new career, find a new boyfriend, go to a new church, join a country club, start working out, buy a new outfit, and on and on it goes. But it's this stuff on the inside that we just can't seem to fix. But God is saying to us this morning, if you really, really want to change for the better, then you got to change with your heart and you got to change with your mind. Come on, Olivia, and help me close. You see, God and the gospel are so intertwined to this soteriological. Isn't that a great word? It's nothing but a story about salvation. It's the study of salvation. God is enhancing and empowering this gospel in such a way that it appears to be a gracious invitation to whoever hears it. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Ho, everyone that is a thirst, come unto me, and you will drink of the water of life freely. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flow and lose all their guilty stains. That word perish means that our flesh, our members, our hands, our eyes, our mouth, our feet, and our brain will perish without something happening on the inside. You see, as you're looking at me right now, you're looking at the house Jerry Irwin lives in. You're looking at the physical Jerry Irwin. But I want to tell you there's another one that you can't see. He's on the inside. And this old house that I'm living in, one day it will become unfit any longer for me to live in. Oh, yeah, it'll collapse. It'll deteriorate and it will go back to dust from whence it came. But that one you can't see. Praise God. There's a change coming. I said there's a change coming. And the real me is going to leave this house for a while. And the real me is going to go to the presence to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And one day there's going to be a trumpet sound. And the Bible said, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised. Praise God, the first thing that happens when the trumpet sounds, the Bible said, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Praise God. Then we which are alive and remain will be changed. Glory to God. Philippians 3 and 20 and 21. Who shall change our vile body? Oh, this old body that's got a slow heart rate right now. This old body that's got arthritis in its joints. This old body that is subject to pain and, and sugar diabetes and it's subject to cancer and it's subject to all kinds of things that, that happen to this body. This is a vile body. 
These eyes get weak and I have to buy a glass to put up there so I can see. These ears get weak and I have to put an aid in there so I can hear. These teeth get old and fall out and I have to get a, a, a bridge and get all kind of stuff to go in there to fix that. Yeah, I'm a dying product. You are looking this morning at a dying man. You better get a grip. And I'm looking at dying people. And one of these days, there's going to be a change. Going to be a change. Glory to God. The real me is going to leave this old vile body. Who shall change our vile bodies? Put it up there for me. Philippians 3 and 20 and 21. Who shall change our vile body and fashion it? God is the divine fashioner. He's got a pattern up there that he goes by when he fashions. It's called Jesus. And the Bible said that here with this old body I've tried to be made conformable to the image of his dear son. But one day, he will change this body and he'll fashion it like unto his own glorious body. Woo. Glory to God. These people that have gone on to be with the Lord right now, we call them disembodied. What that means is they're not in a physical body like you see me right now. Oh, they have a recognizable form. And listen, do you remember when Jesus was telling about the rich man and Lazarus? That there was a poor beggar, a leprous beggar, and he laid at the gate of the rich man. And the Bible said he was full of sores, boils all over him. So much so, the Bible said that the dogs came. How repulsive. And the Bible said, and Lazarus died. And the Bible says, angels came and got his spirit. And he's so. And angels carried it to Abraham's bosom. And the next verse, touch your neighbor and say the next verse. And the next verse said, And the rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes. One second after a lost person breathes his last breath, and that heart pumps its last beat of blood, the next moment... He finds himself in hell. The rich man died and was buried. They took this part of him out there, put it in the ground, had a funeral for him, and buried him and in hell. Didn't lose consciousness. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes. And he said, oh, Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he can come and touch his 
finger to water and touch my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. And Abraham told him, he said, he can't come over to where you are and you can't cross over to him. There's a great gulf that separates you people. That place was called Sheol. On one side was Abraham's bosom. On the other side was Hades, where wicked souls and spirits still go. But on Easter Sunday morning, while they had him in the tomb, he left that body, went down to where righteous souls and spirits were in Abraham's bosom. And the Bible said he led captivity captive. And he changed paradise from down below to up above so that righteous souls and spirits don't go down anymore. They go up. Since Jesus, now we go up. Glory to God. And listen, in that place where that rich man was, he said, send some evangelist that'll go tell my brothers, don't come down here. Do you mean somebody in hell cares more about souls than church people do? Would you please somebody to go preach a gospel message to my brothers? Would you send somebody their way that'll get their attention, that'll tell them that there's a Jesus Christ who saves, there's a message they can believe, that they can change and not come here? I've perished. I missed it. I'm destroyed. But they're still living. They've still got a chance. Are you seeing the dichotomy here? Are you seeing between saved and perish? God so loved that you not perish, but you be saved. For it is not the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you know what that tells me? That if that rich man had all five senses, taste, smell, hearing, all five of his senses and a memory, that's how sure you can be that righteous souls and spirits right now are alive, they're conscious, they've got all five senses, and they have a memory. They know where they've been, they know where they are. They know where they're going. But if you aren't going to shout about that, you're not going to shout about nothing I got to say. Are you telling me, Brother Irwin, that my, my relative, my husband, my wife, my daughter, my son, my daddy, my mama, my aunt, my grandpa is alive right now? And they're conscious? The writer of Hebrews said... Seeing then, as we are compassed about by such an innumerable host, a cloud of witnesses, who do you think those witnesses are? Witnesses. Witnesses. What are they witnessing? They're watching me run this race. 
They're watching my journey. They're watching my progress. Praise God. And one of these days, God is going to turn to his son, the Lord Jesus, and say, Son, it's time. It's time. The Bible said God hath appointed a day because God hath appointed a day. I don't know what that day is. Jesus said nobody knew but the Father himself because he has appointed a day. I don't know, Brother Kenneth, when that day is. I don't know. But I know one thing because, Randy, if he's appointed a day, he knows when that day is. He knows when it's going to happen. He knows when it's going to come to pass. Praise God. And when that day comes and he says to the Lord Jesus, go get him. And the Bible said he will appear in the eastern sky. And the power of God will strike this old earth. And it will begin to convulse and shake. And graves will burst wide open. And sleeping saints shall arise. The Bible said many of them that slept in the dust of the earth shall hear his voice. And they shall awake. I said they shall awake. I said they shall awake. I said they shall awake. Woo! Glory to God. Hallelujah. That's right. Just stand up all over this house. I'm not through preaching, but I better let you go or I'll preach all afternoon. You see, because the Lord, when he appears in the sky, this old earth is going to lose gravitation on them that are saved. And the Bible said, and then, when is then? After the dead in Christ have arisen. Then, then, we which are alive and remain shall be. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. The writer said in Luke's gospel, he said, Neither shall they die anymore, and they shall be equal to the angels, being the children of God and of the resurrection. Praise God, there's going to be a change. He will change us. Glory to God to be exactly like him. Thank you, God, this morning for allowing us to talk about transformation, to talk about change. Lord, I'm not really through preaching this message, but I know it's time to go. But I realize today, oh Lord, that you're the source of all grace. You're the God of all grace. And for whatever people need in this house today, there is grace. You said my grace is sufficient. There is sufficient grace. And Lord, I've promised that I wouldn't contact anybody or get close to people, so I'm going to have to pray for them for a distance. And Lord, I'm going to pray for everybody in this house that are heartbroken. Every person in this house that's grief-stricken. Every person in this house that's afflicted. Every person that's watching online that is sick in body and sick in spirit and sick in soul. God, there are even some that are watching today that are sick of their sin. They're sick of their walk and sick of their life. And they want to change. God, I have lifted up a Lord Jesus who is able to change people. Change people. Change the tax collector. 
who climbed up in a tree to see Jesus. But he said, I, I want to change. I've heard the message, and I want to change. And he picked up all of his ill-gotten gain, and he carried it. And he said, I'm going to give you this back fourfold because I, I, I want to repent, and I want to, I want to get right with God. Lord, there's a, I hear the voice of a young man that was, life was tormented with demons, and you came ashore that day, and he ran to you, and he said, are you come to terrorize me? And Jesus said, come out of him. And he made a choice that time. He said, I accept you, Lord. Come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. Exercise these demons. Get these demons. Get all these spirits, all this filth out of me. I want to live for you. And when you left that island, God, you said to that, that man, you stay here and tell everybody what great things God has done for you. There was a woman, Lord, whose name was Mary Magdalene, the Bible said, of whom the Lord cast seven devils. But she came to know you, God, in such a way that when swords were flashing in the night air and haters of God were belching out their vehemence against the Son of God, she stood at the cross and wept and prayed. I thank you for salvation that changes people. I could preach the rest of the day about changing people. But, Lord, I think we get it. And I pray, God, that people in this audience today and watching this program right now, that, Lord, they would just look right up to you. You said, except we repent, we will all likewise perish. The message of your forerunner was repent ye for the kingdom of God is at hand. God, we don't want to perish. We don't want our children to perish. And, God, we want to repent of whatever wrongdoing, O oh Lord, that's taken a root of bitterness in our life. Right now, in Jesus' name, I ask you to change us, God. I ask you, O oh God, we repent, and I ask you to forgive us. Oh, Lord, where we fail to be a witness for you, God, forgive us for that timidity and that cowardice, and help us, Lord, to take a stand and let people know that we are saved by the grace of God, and we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus. I thank you for that, God. If that's your prayer, for about 30 seconds, would you give God the greatest praise you've got? Could you give God the greatest praise you got? Come on. That's not loud enough. Come on. Let me hear you really say thank you, God. Let me hear you say really praise your name, Jesus. Blessed be the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, for he hath done great things. Bless the Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Is anybody refreshed? Is anybody built up? Anybody encouraged? Then praise God, that's what we came for. Thank you, God, for all that you did for us. Dismiss us into your care and your love and your keeping. Go with each one, O oh Lord, today. And may we truly be light and salt as we walk out those doors to be the church in the world. Amen and amen.